You're listening to Randall Wallace Presents, formerly Bridging the Political Gap, the number one American history podcast of 2024 by Feedspot.com. I talked to so many people this week in preparing for this interview, and I must say that, and I'm, not, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear this, they have very ambivalent feelings about you. They think that you make great sense on foreign policy, perhaps more sense than almost anyone else on the, the public scene these days. But on the other hand, there is still a deep feeling about the breach of trust in Watergate. How do people reconcile that? Well, it's very difficult to reconcile, and I understand that, uh, because uh, Watergate uh, was a breach of trust. Uh, I think, uh, to keep it in perspective somewhat, and uh, I think it is important that as we consider this historical segment of the program that we put it in perspective, that 1972, as you know, was a very big year. A lot of things were going on. Uh, Winston Churchill once wrote uh, that uh, strong leaders uh, usually do the big things well, but they foul up on small things, and then the small things become big. I should have read that before Watergate happened. In 1972, we went to China. We went to Russia. Uh, we ended the Vietnam War, effectively, by the end of that year. Uh, those were the big things. And then here was a small thing, and we fouled it up beyond belief. Uh, it was a great mistake. It was wrong, as I pointed out over and over again. Uh, but under the circumstances, now people, as they judge that period, have to see what we accomplished and what we did wrong. And for the future, I would advise all those that follow me and the position of president do the big things as well as you can. But when a small thing is there, deal with it. Deal with it fast. Get it out of the way, because if you don't, it's going to become big, and then it may destroy you. Welcome to Season 7 of Bridging the Political Gap. This is our final chapters of 1974, Watergate and beyond, Into the Fire. And this is, you know, the the story of the unraveling of the Nixon administration. And what I wanted to do, uh, quickly, before we begin this story and getting into our narrative was to kind of introduce you to what we're going to be doing. Cause it's going to be a little bit different among other things. We don't have the tapes anymore. Um, and in July of 1973, Alexander Haig as the chief of staff uh, had the uh, system dismantled. And so this set of shows is going to depend more on oral histories that the Richard Dixon presidential library has done and, of course, some of our older documentaries that we have uh, will also help take this story you know, to its conclusion at the resignation. And then we're going to take a look at Richard Nixon's life and the country uh, after his resignation in 1974, in August, on August the 9th, to let you see the impact of this, of this presidency and what happened once he was gone. And also to see what Richard Nixon did with the rest of his life, because he is this extraordinary, towering figure 
as compared to just about anybody else uh, in American history in the last half of the 20th century. So we're going we're gonna to do that. But to try to put this concise, there's a lot of material out there about Watergate. And it can be huge, massive, and confusing in trying to, to put it all together uh, because the, uh, the Nixon detractors for years have stuck their tentacles out all over the place um, to include all kinds of things that were just frankly not fair. A lot of them not true. Uh, I always like to point out to the milk fund scandal in which no one was ever convicted that a lot of what you hear about the crimes of Watergate or things like perjury that I think were kind of questionable about Dwight Chapin and, and Bud Krogh. And you're going to hear Alexander Haig uh, make some statements about, about that. Um, I, I, you know, especially here, I like to, if I'm going to be editorializing and I do that a lot in this, in our show, um, you know, I don't mind telling you that I think the sinister force within Watergate is at the, at the Watergate special prosecutor's office. So what we decided to do, was take certain group of individuals, and we're going to focus this story um, as we have. You're going to hear news reports, you're going to hear President Nixon speak at press conferences, um, and then we're going to really get into details. We get there at the end uh, for the resignation, and so you're going to get a lot of in-depth look. But as we move this story along, we're going to really concentrate on. The House Judiciary Committee, because that's where a lot of the action is here in 1974 from about February when the House votes to to, uh, to move forward with looking at impeachment and as the committee forms and the fight over the tapes. So we're going to look at the House Judiciary Committee. And I've chosen two members of that committee. One, Trent Lott, a Republican, a defender of President Nixon, and a guy I admired a tremendous amount. He was a dissident uh, minority and majority leader uh, in the late, uh, the 1990s, he took Bob Dole's place when Bob Dole resigned and, uh, and he served through the Clinton impeachment and into the early part of 2000. Uh, he's a fellow Southerner. He's from Mississippi. And, uh, and I admire Trent Lott a great deal. He voted no, he voted against impeachment, uh, up until the smoking gun tape. And then he of course moved over like just about everybody else did when, uh, president Nixon's defense appeared to collapse. We're also going to look at Elizabeth Holtzman, who was a representative from New York State. She's from New York City, um, but uh, she was elected. And really, her election uh, forbade, for, forbade some of what was happening to President Nixon because the guy she defeated uh, was uh, on the Judiciary Committee for about 50 years and was a, a, a very, very staunch supporter of President Nixon's. Had he stayed, uh, a lot might not have happened the way it did. But anyway, Elizabeth Holtzman gets elected, and she serves, and she did an oral history that we're going to use for, um, and so you'll get insight of a Democratic member and a Republican member. And I, I love to tell this story because it may give you some insight on Elizabeth Holtzman. Uh, I had uh, uh, I met her uh, many, many years ago at an event that was honoring the leaders and speakers of the House of Representatives. It was a group, it was a meeting of former elected officials, former Congress people. It's an association they have up there. And I was a city council person. I was invited by my, my uh, lobbyist or the state, the city of Myrtle Beach's lobbyist, not my lobbyist, but I was there. I was the only person from the city of Myrtle Beach was at a national league meeting and we were invited to come. And, uh, it was a chance to meet Bob Michael, uh, Dick Gephardt, uh, speaker, Denny Hassert, 
Speaker John, John Boehner, uh, Speaker Tom Foley. Uh, they were all being kind of honored and recognized at this event. And Elizabeth Holtzman sat beside me. And she, uh, she, she introduced herself to me as having been on the committee that voted to impeach Richard Nixon. Uh, to which I looked at her and said, well, you know, you couldn't possibly be proud of that. <laughs> and she kind of looked around like, what? And then I got a kick under the table from uh, Butler Derrick's assistant, uh, lady named Connie Jameson, to watch what I said. And uh, Miss Holtzman asked me where I was from, and I told her Myrtle Beach. And she had been very good friends with Congressman John Jenrette, who was uh, a, a, a friend of mine in his later years. As people will probably remember, I tried to get Congressman Jenrette honored before I left, Mr. Jenneret uh, was involved in a scandal of his own um, in which he left office uh, and ended up going to federal prison over uh, uh, abscam and, and money that he uh, was that he that he took. And that's a whole nother story. But uh, Mrs. Holtzman apparently was very good friends with him and just went on and on and on about what a good guy John was, and how much she liked him. And, uh, I, you know, I appreciated that because I like John Jenneret. He's a friend of mine and I, 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 I like him a lot. Though I could not be helped but be struck that Richard Nixon was this terrible person because he had been involved in a criminal situation. And John Durant was a wonderful person, even though he had been involved in a criminal situation. But the difference was Richard Nixon was a Republican. John Durant was a Democrat. It kind of left me with, you know, I, it, it stood out. Even though, as I said, I knew John Durant and and I just I liked him a great deal, no matter his uh, flaws. Um, at that time in his life, he, he was a great neighbor, great guy, just fun to talk to. Um, and, uh, and I think there's no one who regretted Abscam any more than John Jenneret did. But Trent Lott, Elizabeth Holtzman, the, the, the House Judiciary Committee, their staffers, we're going to listen to, uh, I'm going to use some of the oral histories from Hillary Rodham Clinton, who was the former First Lady. Bernard Nussbaum, and, and he has a really interesting insight when we get to it that I'm going to tap into. And William Weld, who's much small, smaller uh, oral history, but we're going to use some of that. We're also going to look at uh, the Nixon staff and some defenders of President Nixon. Ray Price, who was a speechwriter who was with President Nixon um, early on in the campaign from 68 on, and he helps write the resignation speech. We're going to listen to his insights as this year unfolds. And we're also going to listen to um, the group of people that I consider the sinister force of Watergate. This is the group of people who really played a lot of games, and you're going to hear it, you're going to see it uh, behind the scenes to, to make... Uh, to, to get President Nixon to force him from office. It is the Watergate Special Prosecutor's Office, and I am not a fan. And, and you're going to probably pick it up, and you're going to hear them talk about committing what I think are clearly unethical acts. And I'm not a lawyer, but I almost I can't imagine that they aren't a borderline illegal acts. Much, much, and also, you're going to hear stories because, you know, there's a great guy who I have come to admire who has a new book coming out, or it, is out. Uh, his name is Dwight Chapin, and he was convicted of perjury. And you are literally going to hear a threat at another witness from uh, from that we're going to be talking to in an oral history, uh, where he basically says, "I'm going to hold you in here until I can find something that I can get you on, like I got Dwight Chapin from Richard Benvenisti." It is disgusting, and I'm allowed. To, I'm going to be able to 
editorialize here. This is the Sinister Force. We're going to use the oral history of Richard Benvenisti, the worst of the worst, Jill Winebanks, and Henry Ruth. And Henry Ruth's, uh, um, his oral history was done about four months before he died. Uh, and, you know, you, you'll, you'll be able to listen to it. But you need to take that into consideration as you listen to it. But you're literally going to hear him brag about things that are reprehensible in his oral history. Uh, we're also going to have some conversation with Leon Jaworski from a history that he did. Um, we're going to have some documents. Um, and then there are three other oral histories that we're going to use um, a lot of. Uh, one of them is interviews with President Richard Nixon himself. And then I want to talk about Alexander Haig, the chief of staff. He has an oral history that is absolutely dynamite. However, it is so dynamite that it has been sealed by the, uh, or, or not sealed, but it, it's been edited and it has, the video is not open to the public, but the transcript is. So I'm going to be playing the part of Alexander Haig. I don't know how well I'm going to do it, but I, you know, I want you to be aware that we're going to have moments of his oral history in which I will read it into the record. So it won't be as good as it could be, but his, his oral history is just unbelievable. It is, it is, it is blunt. It is direct. He tells you exactly what he thinks. You're going to hear about threats from the prosecutor's office towards him personally. It is an amazing transcript, but I'll be reading that transcript as the 1974 shows, uh, move forward. We're going to use Richard. We're going to do president Nixon's, uh, oral histories that he did. He did a set of interviews, obviously with David Frost, that is very well known, and Frank Gannon, and they are extraordinary. And you'll get to hear hear that. And then finally, we're going to focus in on a man that we've been in all of the 1973 episodes. We've been used using uh, his material. He's going to become front and center right off the bat as we kick off 1974. His name is Jeff Shepard. He is the last living member of President Nixon's. Uh, defense team, and he is going to be an integral part of our roadmap to the finish of this look at President Nixon in Season 7. So, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you'll enjoy it. Welcome to Season 7, 1974. Into the fire, Watergate, and beyond.
thank you for listening to Bridging the Political Gap. If you've liked what you've heard, please share it. And we would love to hear from you and your thoughts on, on our show. So if you'd like to, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, thanks again, and so long for now.